Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. So we're in this worship series for the season of Lent. It's called, We're Gonna Need a Bigger Boat. And I just gotta know, I just have to ask, do y'all even know that line? Like from the movie Jaws? Thank you. Is it only people of a certain age and up? Or who have a certain tolerance for like horror films around deep water? I don't know, last week y'all were looking at me like I was not making any sense. And you know the, you know the refrain from the movie, right? Dunna, 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 dunna. Yeah, Steph is, I know, every time. Steph's helping me out here. All right. <clears throat> so we're, that's the theme of worship over this season because we're reading these early stories in Matthew's gospel about like Jesus's very beginnings in ministry. And you know, beginnings are famously lovely, right? There's like a honeymoon period where everything is rosy. But the question for this season is, what if we were reading these very early stories and it's just now five weeks until the holiest week before the violent cataclysm, the unraveling of the thing. I mean, what can we hear in these honeymoon stories if we know where the whole thing is headed, you know? And how does that add to our understanding of Jesus's work all along the way if we have the Jaws theme like running in our minds as we read, you know? So here's where we are. Um, Following Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3, we got immediately into chapter 4 last week, which begins with his expulsion into the wilderness to face trials of his faith. He's out there doing combat with the very tempting possibility that he could just shortcut this whole project, right? He could just go straight to the good part, where he's the boss of everything and everything's fine. And then the trials are over. And he crosses the threshold back into civilization. And this is what's waiting for him in the very next moment, in the very next verse. The man who baptized him not six weeks ago is in Herod's dungeon and is never going to see the light of day again. This is Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
As he went from there, he saw two more brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and even from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Jesus comes out of the desert, scrounging in the deep pockets of his skirts for shekels, hoping there's a hamburger in his very near future. And after the hamburger, a good bath, and maybe a nice massage with that aloe vera goop for his whole chafed, burnt hide. But before he can put in his order at the nearest cantina, one of the locals sidles up next to him at the bar. Hey, buddy, sorry to hear about your cousin. Jesus finishes slamming back the first of several drinks he plans to enjoy with his first dinner in 40 days and turns to the stranger. I've uh, been off the grid, he says. What's the tea? After nearly six weeks of heat exhaustion unto stroke, he is shocked to feel the icy grip of fear around his heart. His stomach rebels at what his ears have absorbed, threatening to expel its meager contents. John, arrested. John, the cousin he grew up with. John, just six months his elder, but always the bigger, stronger, faster, wilder. John, the kid he wanted to grow up to be just like. See, it turns out, nasty old lecherous Herod didn't mind John's preaching as long as he stayed out there on the margins down by the river shouting his get right with God sermons to the tourists who went out looking for cheap entertainment. Herod didn't mind even to hear that it was becoming a rather sincere religious revival out there, people confessing all kinds of stuff, repenting of their own narcissistic obsessions getting dunked as a sign of God's forgiveness and a chance to start over clean, at least metaphorically. The muddy Jordan never really cleaned anybody up, but whatever. People in crowds do crazy shit. Herod didn't really care. That is, until the shouting sermonizer came to his house, or rather, stood outside his palace as close as the guards would let him get without running him through with their spears, stood out there shouting for everybody to hear that Herod was shacked up with his brother's wife. Not a secret by any stretch. Herod had engineered his younger brother's humiliation in hopes of advancing in Caesar's perpetual contest of machismo. But John was out there twisting the whole thing up, making it sound so dirty making it sound like Herod was too corrupt to be trusted in this job, like he wasn't fit to be king of the Jews. 
John made it sound like God's own self was unhappy with Herod. And though Herod had not given God the time of day in many, many more weeks than he cared to remember, nobody likes being schooled by a bug-eating, bipolar, wild-eyed wackadoo. More accurately, nobody likes being told that their way of operating in the world is in direct opposition to God's own ideas. So Herod had John arrested. And friends, there would be no bail. There would be no pretrial hearing. There would be no... There would be no Geneva Convention protections. John was never, ever going to come out from that dungeon in the sub-basement of Herod's palace. Everybody knew it. Jesus heard that John was arrested, and his stomach dropped, and his bile rose, and he hightailed it north, back to Galilee, back to the backwaters he came from. But he did not go home to Nazareth, where people would know him, and his family would expect him to settle in and pick up Joseph's carpentry business. He detoured to the east a little ways, finding some quiet in Capernaum by the sea, Matthew said later it was to fulfill prophecy. Something, something Isaiah said about Zebulun and Naphtali, old place names that nobody used anymore. Something about the road by the sea, the shadow of death, the dawning new light. <laughs> and maybe Jesus would have signed off on that with an attaboy to Matthew for finding a way to make it make sense. But maybe he also wouldn't have minded everybody understanding that he just needed another minute. Another minute off grid while he figured out what to do next. In the Marco Polo group called G-Query, which is coming up on three years of asynchronous tending to our soul's health, and which you are all welcome to join any time. The link is in the e-newsletter every week. You gotta read all the way to the end. In that Marco Polo group, we have been reading through Rob Bell's book, How to Be Here. Well, I've been reading it a little bit each day, and people listen to me read on Marco Polo, and sometimes people respond with thoughts of their own. It is delightful. And one of Rob's points is that it is overwhelming and paralyzing to think too much about the whole thing, whatever your thing is. The whole project, the whole assignment, the whole enchilada, your whole life. He says, to get unstuck, to get any forward motion, we have to stop worrying about the second or the eighth or the 80th step in the process and instead just figure out the first, the very next step. Find your one, Rob says, your one. Because thinking about the whole thing can obscure what's supposed to happen now, next, and you end up not doing anything. But John's arrest, John's disappearance, the elimination of John's powerful, provocative voice from public life, right here at Jesus' very beginning, before he has said a blessed word out loud to anybody other than his adversary in the desert, John's arrest is yanking Jesus up and out to the whole enchilada level forcing him to understand that this whole project may very well not end well. That when God gifts people with the vision to see what's broken in this world and how it could, should be repaired, well, that's not 
often a gift welcomed by people with lots of power and privilege, people with the purview of your imprisonment and prosecution. And I'm not saying that Jesus has been reading Rob Bell, but it does feel like that northward retreat to Galilee and that sideways scoot over to Capernaum gets him far enough out of harm's way that Jesus can find his one, figure out what to do now, next, with John's fate pushed to the back of his mind for now. Not not that he's forgotten about John, prophet of the Most High, baptizer of bodies for the saving of souls, leveler of mountains and valleys, highway builder for the Lord. Indeed, it's John's absence that gives Jesus his next move, his one. Matthew 4:17. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance had always been John's gig, remember? He said that this thing God was about to do in the world was going to be painful for people like Herod, people who are stubbornly committed to satisfying their own appetite for more than their fair share. But for those with pliable hearts, those who could recognize their own need for spiritual rehabilitation, God's next move was going to be delicious like heaven come down to earth, like sweet spring rain on the dusty winter ground. Repent, John shouted. And for his next move, his first messianic move, Jesus picked up his cousin's mantle, his cousin's message. And if you are hearing that shark music again, dunna, 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 as you picture Jesus collecting John's cue cards, you're not wrong. It is perhaps the finest kind of stupid to hear that someone's been arrested by a corrupt regime for doing a thing, saying a thing, and then pick up publicly right where said arrested person left off, doing the same thing, saying the same thing. How long do you think you've got before the powers that be hear the echo of their prisoners preaching in your voice? How long until they come after you? Can I tell you all a weird thing that has happened? Something I'm not quite sure how to interpret, but I'm pretty sure it's not good. I got a call from a pickle queen the other day. The pickle queens are the committee of civic-minded women who run Mansfield, Texas's annual Pickle Palooza and Parade. Galileo Church started in Mansfield in 2013, and in 2014, we entered the second ever Pickle Parade, and we have not missed a year, except for the COVID years when they didn't have it. Indeed, every year since 2014, we have volunteered as on-the-ground helpers to make that parade happen. We are in it, I'm saying. The Pickle Queens love us, this I know. Our float for the pickle parade has gotten bigger and brighter and gayer every year. And it always causes a stir when it rolls down Main Street because some people are just shocked to see that Galileo Church still exists. And some people are mad to have to remember that queer people still exist. And some people are beside themselves with delight to hear for the very first time that they can exist as both queer and 
Christian in the same self, the same life. We wear various pride flags around our necks as capes. We wave various pride flags on PVC poles. And last year, our float was adorned for the first time with about 11,000 little pride flags in various configurations fluttering gaily in the spring breeze. It was glorious. So a pickle queen calls me the other day to tell me this story. It seems that a man reached out to the Pickle Queens last month, a Mansfield citizen, to reassure them that he will be policing the parade on their behalf this year. His words, policing the parade. Specifically, he said, he will be on the lookout for illegal flags. The parade rules do state, as a matter of fact, that only the US American flag, the Texas flag, and the Pickle Queen flag can be flown in this parade. The Pickle Queens tell me they're trying to avoid Nazi flags and Confederate flags, flags that promote hate and division, and I believe them. This man says that last year he noticed any number of illegal flags in the parade decorating somebody's float, carried by walkers accompanying that float. And so he is taking it on himself to police the parade this year. And the Pickle Queens have talked it over and they are quite sure that he's talking about us. And they are worried for our safety, and for the safety of the whole parade and all the parade goers. And so they're asking, do we think we can find another way to get our message out without the flags that could give this guy his reason? Well, yes. Yes, we can, and we absolutely will, because guns, because that man sounds unhinged, not in a John the Baptist kind of way, but in a King Herod kind of way. So we've already made a no-flag, pickle-queen-approved, alternative but still queer and fabulous-as-fuck plan for our parade entry this year. No worries, we got this. Because what we will not do is stay home and keep our float disassembled and hidden in the crawl space under this very stage. Out here in this hard to find barn in Capernaum by the sea, we will not withdraw our booth from the Palooza with our huge ass sign that simply declares LGBTQ and Christian, full stop. See, we don't know everything we're supposed to do in this whole wide world, but that's our one for March, 2023. That's our next step. Now, as long as we're taking our cues from Jesus, let us also remember that as soon as he embarked on his walking repentance tour of Galilee with John's message on his mouth, he quickly got some people around him. First things first, he got some brawny bros around him, fishermen with forearms like Popeyes, James, John, Peter, Andrew, big old boys whose impulse to protect him was perhaps not unwelcome right there at the beginning. And then Matthew says, the entourage just kept growing. As he traveled around, not only saying, but also doing the reign of God, bringing sick people back to health, bringing isolated people back to community, embracing the untouchables, confronting every power that held them down. He collected people, Matthew says, great crowds of people. Crowds of people so hungry for God's good news that they would say no 
to everything else in order to say yes to him. You know that's what repentance ever only meant. Say no to anything that keeps you from saying yes to God's good news. So friends, nobody's going to pickle Palooza alone, right? We carry this good news that God's love for the whole rainbow of humanity is the realest thing in the world together with a whole crowd of happy souls who have experienced the healing power of that love and with some brawny allies alongside. If it was true for Jesus, it is true for us that the gospel travels best in a community of trusted beloveds, with or without flags, but always with the courage to say what we know is true. The reign of God is right here. God getting everything God wants is so close. You can reach out and touch it. And what God wants most of all is us, all of us, at home, in God's sparkly, fabulous, mothering, drag queen heart. Right? Right. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.